Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Swim podcast. How's it going, dear friends, and welcome to Someone Who Isn't Me, episode number 34. My guest on this one is Tom DeLong, who is the songwriter, frontman, and guitarist of the band Angels and Airwaves, uh, and he's the founder of To The Stars Academy of Arts and Science. This was recorded a month or so ago, and it's the first episode of Swim that has not been conducted in person, because if I'm honest... Part of the point of doing these podcasts was to have conversations with people that I truly respect about things that I think don't normally get spoken about by those artists. But it was as much about having those conversations as as it was to just hanging out with them and connecting with them. And um, yeah, just that. Uh, So that was one of the reasons why I didn't want to do them, you know, over a computer or by phone. But it is what it is, you know, the current situation is that we're in the center of a global pandemic. So, yeah, so it had to be done. You can't get weird about it. It's a free podcast. So, you know, get over it. Anyways, as I said, this is the first one done over FaceTime. So the audio quality isn't the usual 10 out of 10 excellence that you've come to expect at random intervals every few months. But it still sounds ace. We planned to do this a couple of years ago, actually, when I was in California. But as it panned out, There was the WikiLeaks thing that happened and Tom's team decided that it was best to let all of that die down. And um, and yeah, and I haven't had the opportunity since then. So so I gave him a bell. Uh, We now find ourselves in the pandemic. Everyone's in lockdown. Conspiracy theories are circling like birds of prey. It is wild times. In this episode, we talk about the recent Angels and Airwaves single, All That's Left Is Love, and the band's forthcoming album and the challenges of working on something whilst in lockdown and socially distancing and um, his collaborations uh, with Elan Rubin, who is his cohort within Angels and Airwaves. We also speak, well, we speak about loads of stuff. So there's a little bit about him leaving Blink-182, also about some of the reactions that he's had from setting up to the Stars Academy and also, um, and its mission to bring to light information regarding what is commonly referred to as the phenomenon that is the evidence of unidentified aerial phenomena or what's w- more widely known as UFOs. The fact is that a few days after we recorded this, the Pentagon acknowledged 
the videos that his company had got released from the US Navy that are known as Gimbal and Go Fast. And so, yeah, a couple of days after that, the government says, yes, these videos are genuine and show UAPs that we can't claim any knowledge of, which I think is an incredibly huge achievement. And it just feels like it's been swept under the rug a little bit during the global situation caused by COVID-19. If I was a little more conspiratorially minded, I might suggest that the lack of any real worldwide media attention to the fact that the US has just gone, look, we've got genuine videos of UFOs, uh, would suggest some kind of shenanigans. But hey, that's not for me to get into. I did want to do a follow-up chat after the news broke, but unfortunately we couldn't make it happen. And i that's one of the reasons why I've hung on to this one since we first recorded it. But it's still a decent conversation nonetheless. Uh, so as it stands, yes, it is now agreed or rather confirmed that there are flying craft that we have no understanding of how they work as they defy our accepted laws of science. We don't know who pilots them and we don't know what to do about them. All of which draws me to one part of the podcast where you'll hear there's a very obvious edit to the point where I even put in like a a beep just to point out that I wasn't trying to pull the wool over anyone's eyes. It's just that we started down this one rabbit hole and it became really clear very quickly that we there was no way we were going to have time to do it any justice. So we kind of backed out of it very quickly and abruptly. And I just felt like if I'd have just edited it out, um, without drawing attention to the fact to say, yes, this has been edited out, it would have looked sketchy, I think. And, you know, people love to point fingers. It wasn't like it was there's some spicy topic that I'm trying to censor from everyone. It's just that it, it was what it was. Anyway, um, I still feel that there's a lot to take away from the conversation and it is one that I really enjoyed. And it's also opened the door to the possibility of doing more episodes with other members of the To The Stars Academy team, which I'd be very much into doing, especially with Hal Off and Peter Lavender, two of the people that we speak about and the work that they've done and been involved with over the years. After recording this episode, the company has since launched its own podcast as well, which is well worth a listen if any of this piques your interest in the subject. So yeah, you should check it out. Just search to the Stars Academy on your preferred pod provider and I'm sure it'll come up. But until then, this is Tom DeLong, episode number 34 of Someone Who Isn't Me. Enjoy. Hello. Hello. Is this Dan? It is Dan. How are you? Good. Are we just doing uh, audio or are we doing video too? Just audio. Oh, cool. Okay. I was told it was uh, a FaceTime thing and so I wasn't sure, but even better. Audio is even easier. Yeah. I mean, I can send you a picture of my face if you like. <laughs> no, nah, I'm okay. I'm going to imagine you as just a, 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 a beautiful young man, uh, handsome and cocksure. Thanks. <laughs> How you doing anyway? You okay? Yeah. Yeah. I am good. Let me turn this music off at my house. Um, yeah, no, I'm good. Just, uh, just like everyone else, um, not really hanging around so many people, but, uh, but I'm at, uh, I have a cabin in the mountains and I, I'm at it right now. So I'm very happy with, uh, what I'm looking at right now because it's the first time in a month that I've come up here. Uh, and so I finally, and have had a little change of scenery. So I'm happy for that reason. Yeah, that rules. It's a weird time, man. I know it really is. And it's, uh, something i've never seen in my entire life and i don't know anybody else has seen anything like this so you know it's going to take a minute to figure it all out that's for sure yeah yeah it's a strange one i think um 
this this is going to be weird for me as well because normally I only I normally only ever do my these kind of in person. Um, but sure. obviously, situation as it is, it is what it is. You know, we were saying about how this is a strange time at the moment, and it's not something that we've that we've lived to, through in our generation. But um, I saw that the proceeds for the single are going to be going to the charity Feeding America. Yes, um, I've worked with Feeding America for a while now. Uh, I've done a lot of different things with them. I've done everything from going to schools and handing out food to underprivileged children. I've gone to certain centers on holidays, Christmas and, and so on, and, and helped hand out food and gone to the warehouse. My daughter has done a lot of um, community service time, you know, pick, pack, and ship to get the, food, the meals ready for, for underprivileged families. And, and they're also from San Diego, and I'm good friends with uh, a, a few people that are deeply involved with that organization. So uh, I think a lot of people tend to think that, you know, um, countries such as, you know, places like the UK or the United States or whatever, like, we, you know, we're a well-off country. We do compared to other countries, but there still are a lot of people that live in poverty in these places. So um, this is something that was right in my backyard. It was something that I knew was super important. Uh, for what it what it's doing right now for people that don't have jobs and that have lost everything, uh, this provides a tiny bit of stability in those difficult times. So it was a very easy decision to to team up with them. I've done it before, and I love what they're doing, and they're more needed now than ever. So uh, I, I look forward to being able to help in the little way we can. Yeah, I agree. So do you feel that, and it 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 fits in with with the sentiment of the song as well? I think because. Um, I, d- I don't know how you're finding it, but this whole situation at the moment, aside from uh, the the instability of of the economy and and people worrying about jobs, I d- I do feel like um, and obviously the the cause of it all as well, and and people getting sick and and losing lives. But I just feel like um, I always try and be positive and find the a glimmer of hope amongst everything. Are you the same way? I am, you know, and I, I, I tend to jump into things and do a lot of research and try to understand everything about it. And I've come to the conclusion on this, on this virus. Um, and most people have been doing a lot of research, but I, I, I try to do, a, a, I'm connected to so many people in the intelligence uh, community and uh, Department of Defense that their perspectives have really leaned on me and inspired me over the years to where I've taken deeper dives and looked at things totally different in the way they do. And I've kind of come to the conclusion on this particular virus. Uh, you know, it's, it's not, this isn't something that's going to take down the entire world. It's something that is going to hurt a lot of people, not only physically, you know, because it's just so fast spreading. Yeah. It's not going to kill more people than the flu does, but it can if it spreads too fast and we just can't kind of keep up with it. But like what it can do to people and, you know, like looking at your window and wondering if the whole world's going to burn, you know, that's not going to happen. Um, I think that, you know, I had a big talk with somebody from the Department of Defense uh, yesterday that was describing kind of what their model is and what they think is going to happen. And, and it mapped out to be actually, we're going to be in a really good spot here in the, in the coming months as far as uh, in a strong position and reorganizing all the things that are important for national security for not only the United States, but for the UK and our other allies, where people are going to start thinking about how do we plan for the future? How do we have all the manufacturing for these types of issues and national security issues like 
within our borders so we don't have to get caught with our pants down again. Yeah. I think we're going to learn a hell of a lot from what happened. So we're going to know how to act. We're going to know how to work with other countries. I mean, that's the other thing. It's like, I, I tell people, this is the first time the whole world is working on the same thing together. It's a, it's the grand equalizer. And, uh, other than that, we're always fighting each other over resources and religious belief systems and stuff. So this is kind of in my eyes, I'm like, wow, this is wonderful. Everyone's pulling together. Everyone actually cares about humanity, you know? And, um, but it's so hard on people right now. It's so difficult for the people losing their jobs for the people that are on, you know, food stamps or over here, that's what we have, or people that are on some type of welfare, you know, I, I get it. I mean, that's, that is like so insanely tough. But I also think that, you know, people are now hanging with their families more than ever. Kids from college flew home. And I'm like, all we can do in San Diego where I live is walk. So everyone walks near the beach, right? And, and you see so many families doing these walks all day long because that's all they can do. And it's just a wonderful, more spiritual view of how we should be living slower, surrounded by the people you love, not working 90 hours a week. And um, we have a tendency to do that in the West. Everything is about making money. Everything is about being a billionaire. You know, so it's like, yeah. uh, not that everyone's trying to do that. That's figure of speech, but you know, everyone wants to go work the hardest they can, make the most money they can, and buy the biggest house they can. And this is something like when it happens, everyone just kind of goes, "Holy shit!" None of that matters. None of it. And I'm getting more happiness at this moment, despite the difficulties, by walking with my kids and my loved one, and talking and smelling the air and there's nature, you know? So I think we're going to get a lot of things out of this, man. I think it's a rebirth in many ways, but it's going to be, it's going to be hard the way birth always is. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think these kind of events could, can be viewed well either way, actually from either like an optimistic or, or a truly pessimistic way, but they are, they can almost be a portal into what we're going to be in the future. Right. Yeah. I mean, how many, how many great things have happened out of something really bad? I mean, even world war two, you know, taught us a shit ton about fascism and taught us what we don't want to have happen in the future and taught us kind of what industrialized killing, how evil it is. And it also gave an ability to kind of Eastern European countries, Japan and so on, to rebuild their countries in a democratic way where the people have equality and this and that. And obviously there's issues in every government and it's never perfect, but from what it was before the war, you know, so there there was a rebirth there, and there is a healthy respect over industrialized warfare. You know, like we don't really want to go there um, as easily as we might have in the past. But uh, you know, I think we're going to do okay. I just I just think that right now the news curates people forget this is like going to a retail store and the best of the best. You have one pair of Nikes, but it's the best selling Nikes. You have one t-shirt, but it's the best selling t-shirt. It's like it's curated of all the best stuff out there. Well, that's kind of what the news is for bad news. Like they curate the worst shit. Like all it is, is every day out of 7 billion people living their life, what are the 27 worst, worst things that are happening? And let's put them up. (laughs) In a and so we have a tendency to digest this every day as though this is what's happening all the way around us. And it's not, you know, Sweden's not even on lockdown and their death rate is like eight people out of a hundred thousand or something. And ours in the United States is six. So yeah. it's two, it's, it's roughly the same and they haven't locked down anything because they're going to try to immunize the entire herd, herd mentality. Just let everybody get it and we're all going to be fine for the most part. But well, there yeah. are people that are going to die and, you know, and, their mentality, I guess. But 
Yeah, I mean, that was, that was the approach that the UK took initially until people started dying in there. Dying out. Yeah, it's crazy. That's what I was, That's kind of why I brought it up to you. Is what I meant to end it with. It's like, <laughs> it's a pretty big fucking gamble. And let's see how it like plays out over the next 60 days. But uh, there's a lot of people that believe that, that kind of line of, of thinking that, you know, this is like no other, this is just like any other virus. It's way more contagious. So we just need to make sure we protect our older ones and with compromised immune systems or whatever, but all of us are supposed to get it. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like the measles. The measles were killing so many people. We freaked out about it. We finally got a vaccine, but by the time the vaccine was done, the measles were all but extinct just from uh, herd immunity. So many yeah. people got it that it, it literally, it was almost completely gone by the time the vaccine was ready. So you never know. I mean, that might happen here, but I don't know. I'm an optimist. I try to be, but yeah, trust me, it was scary for me too. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think, uh, again, the optimistic point of view would be that in the upside of these things, um, if you can view it in that way, maybe that's a little too optimistic is the fact that you're right. People are coming together. It seems that people are realizing that, that the slog isn't necessarily always worth it that there are things far more important than that and i think they're connecting more with family and friends and actually using digital means of of actually reaching out and communicating with people and, and actually using it in a beneficial way i also think yep. people, people are looking uh looking inward a lot more and initially i think a lot of that will be through worry and fear but I'm optimistic again, as I keep saying, in the sense that if more people start to be a lot more mindful, if they start meditating, if they start being more creative and using it as an opportunity to, I don't know, make music, to make art, to to realize that the, there's beautiful things that the consciousness can do, you know, that, that can benefit not only your own well-being, but a greater well-being as well. Totally agree, man. And And I have one problem, though. Like, what do you do? when your friends start reaching out to you a lot more, but they're just sending you like naked dudes and shit. Like, and <laughs> yeah, that kind like, of thought. I'd like to think that that's going to fall away. I mean, there's only so many times I can see that guy's dick before it. I just, know, wait, wait. So you know exactly what I'm talking about, of, right? Of course. Dude, I, that guy, man, God rest his soul. I heard he's not around anymore, but that thing has come. I have literally have 75 of those photos. And then I saw this one thing on Twitter. They showed this dude's face. They showed just his face, and it says, "If you know this guy's face, you have some fucked up friends." You know, and I was like, "Yeah, well, that, that would be me." You know? Yeah, yeah. I think if you're in the music community, that just seems to be the the, the norm, right? Uh, it is. Yeah, it is. We are not. We do not. We like to act <laughs> and are act full of etiquette and smart. You know, when we're on a podcast or the radio, but. uh with our friends, we're just as dumb as we've ever been. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, um, as I said, you know, people are going to be more creative in this period. And I know that you've been working hard on, on the record. And like this single is is obviously the third one after Rebel Girl and Kiss and Tell. But tell me a little bit more about the Angels album. Well, I've been recording for about a year, if not longer, taking my time up until recently. And now we're like pounding away like crazy. But uh, really... Rebel Girl was the only single, and this was the confusing thing that I, I I think I made on the for the marketplace here. But so Kiss and Tell, Rebel Girl was a single. Kiss and Tell was not. It was just something we wanted to put out as we went into our tour, and yeah. so we made a video for it. And we it was just we wanted to play a new song, and 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 that was one that was 
ready. So that, so we put it out, um, but it was not a second single. And then this one's not a single either. Uh, it, it happened to be all recorded. I just needed to sing it. And I, and I realized I was obviously like everyone else. I was really inspired uh, to do something that mattered. Cause the last thing I want to do is, you know, I, I don't want to wait another year before I put out music because of the COVID virus, you know? So I wanted mm. to put something out. Uh, but angels and airways is always done. I mean, one thing, if anything, to our fault, <laughs> to a fault is, you know, we've always been full of hope and love and consciousness and awareness. And that's kind of something that we've been doing since day one, 13 years ago. Yeah. And so it made a lot of sense for us to, to, to do this because I think, you know, for a lot of, for a lot of the punk rock kids, I think they were, you know, probably trying to understand where I was coming from with angels and airways coming out of blink where it's like, fuck you, fuck you. And then all of a sudden there's like love and, and all this other stuff and, and with angels and they're like, okay, what well, what's Tom doing? He's a totally different guy. Is he a hippie now? What is this? And, uh, but I think, you know, over the past decade, people started to really, the people that, that liked my music or whatever, they, they started to value kind of who I was and whatever art form I was playing with at the moment. So they seem to support a lot of the different things I get involved in. I always kind of, I don't like to think of myself as any one particular thing. I just like to do a lot of things that are challenging and different. Putting out this song with, you know, dealing with trying to lift people's spirits right now is just like so tried and true what the band is all about. So I, I just went in and, and saying the words that came to came to my heart and and here we have something that i think is uh i don't know i'm pretty proud of it you know i'm excited for it It, it's not like our big huge radio smash single kind of thing but this is something this is a song that i think is bitching and i think it it pulls on the heartstrings for for what people are going through and you know the words say the world is different now and we feel more of us and uh you know even though this place is a mess we always pass the test and you know, and when you feel like looking up when the days are getting tough, a little bit's enough when all that's left is love, you know? And so it's, it, and I feel it's true. Like when everything's gone, when everything's stripped away from you, the only thing that you have that matters is the connection you have with the people around you and what you've done for them personally, for their, you know, their hearts and, and minds and how you've helped them. And I cannot find a lot of people that are depressed and in a really bad place. One of the best things you can do is help other people it will always lift your own spirits to get out there and give. And, uh, and so, I don't know, that's, that's what I'm thinking. That's where I'm coming from. Yeah, no, I hear you. But to come to that realization can be quite tough for some people. So what do you feel like, you know, you said about how people, when you first started doing the band all those years ago, people were like, what, what the fuck's going on? This isn't like, this isn't what I signed up for. Do you feel like, did you have a moment where you just suddenly, I mean, I, 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 Maybe it's going over old ground, but yeah, I'm just curious as as to what the what the point was where you were like, no, this is this is the more important thing. Yeah, when I when I left Blink the first time, it, it was a major identity crisis coming out of a gigantic rock band where everyone knows the the guys in the band. It's like you're Tom from Blink, you know. This is Tom from Blink, and this is all Tom from Blink is, and Tom from Blink this, and Tom from Blink that. You know. Yeah, that's what. That, so when everyone I, assumes that that's what defines you, but exactly. So I was super depressed, and I was super lost, and didn't know what I wanted to do. And to achieve something like that uh, in your life is like pure chance and luck, and then it was gone. So I was kind of like, "Fuck, what do I do?" And I was so depressed. I remember thinking. I want to do something that lifts up my own spirits. So therefore, 
I want to do something that lifts up other people. So it's kind of like, you know, when you're down, give what I just was talking about. Yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to create a band that had a really great chemistry amongst the guys, had a, everyone shared the same ethos of coming out of the punk scene. So I have a lot of those kind of hardcore, post-hardcore ethos. I was never that into the hardcore scene, but I really love the positivity and the optimism and you know anti-racism and speaking up for women's rights and there's a lot of that in the punk scene especially in the in the hardcore sect and i yeah. it rubbed off on me it always rubbed off on me uh, and i loved it so this was kind of taking the ethos from that kind of branch of the punk rock tree taking a bit of the angst that i grew up on from the, the that, that branch the blink kind of world you know and then mixing it with aspirations of doing things that you know more ambitious and more about like, let's really say what we're thinking and let's really put it out there because so much in my other band when we were, when we were growing up was like posturing, like, how do you look cool in a photo? How do you look like you're pissed? Or how do we write a song? It's like, we're, you know, like you, you get really kind of caught up in the fashion of being a rock star versus taking, you know, taking the chance to put out there how you really, really fucking feel, you know, not just something that rhymes, not something, not singing about, you know, I hate my parents because of this, you know, it's like really like, like, honestly, like when you fall in love with a chick and you guys are alone and you've completely been vulnerable and you start opening up about your childhood, you start opening about what you really want. I wanted to be that truthful. And what came out was everything people know angels and airwaves to be, which is a lot of songs about spirituality and, you know, self-awareness and, optimism and hope and um did you feel that you couldn't do that then well i couldn't do a blink it didn't seem right i don't think the fans were ready for it i don't think mark and travis would have liked it as much i, I don't want to speak for them because they, they might have you know i don't know uh the last thing i want to pretend is that i would know what they would want to do or not because a lot of yeah. times i'm in my own i'm in my own head and i'm thinking well they wouldn't like this anyways and that, you know, they might be like that's not true <laughs> you know mm. i have no idea but at the time when angel started I mean, we didn't talk for like seven years or something like that. So we were not even friendly with each other like we are now. But uh, I think, you know, getting into it was the best thing ever that happened to me because it just redefined to me what I'm capable of, what I want to do, who I am, where I want to go, what I want to be, how I want to influence other people, what kind of father do I want to be, what kind of man do I want to be. And so my whole life right now is wrapped up into those same common kind of threads you know whether i'm working with to the stars academy or i'm working with angels and airwaves um or i'm doing something far out which is you know a lot of things that people have a hard time digesting yeah well the, th- the thing is you know and <laughs> the thing is initially you, you said that you wanted you wanted angels to be more of like um you know like a transmediate thing that was like an art project that could take in all these different forms which i think to be fair i i think that most bands are but i i totally get what you're saying that that it's so easy to as soon as things start to go a certain way within a within a band situation you feel hemmed in and and you do start uh you start overthinking everything and second guessing what like oh well we got to this point so that's because we're like this so therefore we can't do that but i think that's exactly it yeah keep going that's exactly how it is yeah but it's a beautiful thing now because you know you started this and and it's 
it's really spread its wings, not just musically, but everything else that you're doing as well, as you just said. Yeah, you know, it's funny. You, you hit it so on the on the head there. It's like when you're in a band and you have any bit of success, the first thing you do is overanalyze that success and try to repeat it on the very next record, you know? Yeah. And then you realize it doesn't do as well, so you got to, like, branch out, and you're constantly going, what do people want us to do? What are they expecting us to do? And how do we do this, this, and this. I mean, that, that, that tends to put you into a situation where you either lead or you follow. And a lot of bands end up following. They follow what their fans want to not disrupt the apple cart. You know, I always decided I wanted to lead. And when you decide to lead and carve a new territory, carve a new path, it's going to take way longer. It's going to all be uphill. It's going to be harder. But the win, uh, the emotional win at the end of it, once people start to understand what it's all about, is pretty strong, you know, it's a, it's great. It's funny, it's like, I was watching Keanu Reeves, you know, in the news not too long ago. Everyone loves Keanu Reeves now. For the longest time, people thought he was kind of a joke and he didn't do the greatest movies. But then it took just a few good art pieces and some stories where people started to learn who he was. And like now everyone, like, loves him. He's, like, the nicest guy ever. And I remember thinking, I was like, yeah, he's, you know, it's similar to, like, what I did where people catch on later in your career what you're all about and then they kind of get behind you and support it and I feel like I have a little bit of that going yeah um, it's, you know I've been trying to earn it for a long time so I hope I don't fuck it up <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah yeah I mean you know to a certain degree a similar situation with Jim Carrey I think because um but then he's he's gone so far into it that he's faced pure ridicule for it but um but the guy seems to be fully aware of of how he's how he's steering his own ship and he doesn't doesn't care about the ridicule which i think is a truly beautiful thing that's quite an enlightened state to be in really i think it's a, that's a tough one for most people to even get a handle of but yeah I, I hear what you're saying oh my god i've had so much ridicule when i first left blink and i had so much ridicule when i started angels and i had so much ridicule when i when i started to the stars and everyone goes he's lost his mind he's chasing aliens like people just have no concept or clue at that time of who I am, what I'm trying to achieve, who the people are that I'm talking to, what is being gifted to me to bring out to the world. And, um, you know, I had a lot of compassion for people because they just literally, I just look at them and go, you guys, you know, I feel bad how far they're going to have to come in the coming years to understand, you know, some of the stuff with unidentified aerial phenomena and all that kind of stuff. But I think over time I've proven that I'm not an idiot. You know, I'm not, I'm not crazy. I'm not going out chasing um, ghosts in the night, you know, and trying to tell everybody that they're going to come and eat us like monsters. <laughs> you know, I, I, just, I'm, I have a very specific way of doing things. It just takes a little bit of time, but, I, uh, yeah. but I'm excited. I'm excited for all the things I got, I got brewing. Yeah, for sure, man. You must feel vindicated. But even, even now, like, I still, I still look at the way that people that I would have thought would be um, – very open-minded and get a lot of the stuff that you talk about they still i don't know like the rogan thing for me was a was a super bum out to see him act that way but um but anyway i don't want to get into that because uh, you know there's too much negativity in the world anyway but yeah that kind of bummed me out <laughs> um, you know it bummed me out too it's all right it bummed me out too i mean a lot that thing ended up being really really big and the funny thing about it was it was the first and only podcast on UFOs I think I've done. And, and because of that, we I wasn't prepared to go and talk for 90 minutes about a lot of things that I can't, I'm not supposed to be talking about. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I put a lot of stuff out there that 
if people go back and listen again, I gave, I gave a lot of things in there. And even though I talked around the edges of it and this and that acts, I just wonder when I knew exactly what I was talking about, I got a lot of trouble yeah. from doing that. And, uh, and Rogan, unfortunately, it, it probably came off as crazy or as hard for him to digest. So he's making fun of it and stuff. And I'm, and I remember thinking, go, man, you just really have no concept of what I'm involved in and who I'm involved with. And I, and I understand. So it's going to yeah. be hard for a guy like that to digest it as well as other people, you know? Yeah. But that's a bum out, man, because you think that somebody in his position, like, I don't want to get into it, but I would have thought that he would have been smarter than that. And I think that you were totally vindicated within, within a week. Anyway, because that's when those videos then became apparent. But anyway, let's talk a bit more about the band before we start heading down this road, because I definitely want to speak to you about it, um, sure. if that's cool. But I'm also aware that we have to be uh, prudent the way we speak about it, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Good. <laughs> Good. Let's talk a bit more about let's talk a bit more about the album. You've been working with Elan for so long, and he's um he's an amazing human being, and in just a ridiculous musician when when you were writing with this from what i could understand it from an outside perspective it's um it's been quite collaborative i know that you're you're the songwriter and the lyricist and etc but I, it feels like you're also a very um generous one i appreciate that i'm i i, I feel like i'm very generous in how i set up situations for people to shine you know i'm very aware of where my skill sets end I'm very, I'm very aware of what I think I can do decently well, um, but I'm even more aware of when people are just really fucking good at what they do and how much better they are than me at it. And Alon is one of those guys that he's like infinitely better at guitar than me. Uh, he's on par as a drummer, as like a Travis Barker, you know, and he's the best piano player I've ever seen, you know, yeah. outside of like some prodigy doing beethoven and a symphony or something he's like he can play like that you know so mm. it helps me out to the way we've kind of we've worked a lot of different ways and it's not 100 percent this way all the time because we're working on this really great song right now that you know it i, I wanted something that was kind of finger picking and it was kind of fleetwood mac or something and so Alon was able to, he started the song and wrote this whole thing. And it's incredible. I would never have been able to write it or play it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe I could play it. I'd probably have to practice it quite a lot. I don't know. But um, in any case, but most of the time, what I do is I kind of build the box that the song lives in. I make sure that the whole sound of the song is, is its own little world. And um, I get the melodies down. I get the guitar parts and all this stuff. So we kind of have a vision of, of what this house we're building looks like. And then you hand it to him, he starts digging in and making parts more clever, making parts more expansive um, and bringing kind of a musical knowledge to it. You know, to that sounds, you know, honestly, it sounds much more mature from a musician's perspective. Um, Cause I tend to play very simple. Again, I'm just a, I'm a punk rock kid. Yeah. But and, you, and, you, let's oh, not, let, let's not forget that uh, there is true beauty and simplicity as well. But, um, but yeah, I know what you're saying. Carry on. Sorry. I know. I appreciate that. Cause that's how I feel as well. You know? Um, and I think that's why it works really well with me along because I, I approach it from a very simple way. And then he's able to put kind of a decoration on this cake that really makes it stand out, you know? So uh, it's just a really great partnership. I mean, he, everything he does is complementary to what I do. His brother, Aaron, is my co-producer as well. So yeah. Aaron 
uh, is, is really great in the studio because he kind of sits between Alon and I. Alon grew up on Zeppelin and Queen and the Beatles. Yeah. You know, uh, I grew up on all the punk rock stuff people know. So Aaron is a fan of both those worlds. Aaron grew up in the punk rock shit, but he also grew up around all that rock because of his dad, Alon and his dad. So he's a really good middle ground. I'm um, where if Alon wants to do something a little bit too intricate, you know, and I want to do something too simple, you know, Aaron can help find a way, a balance. And, uh, and I think we have a really good thing going. And I've been saying this to people. I, I think this record is, is it's got to be the best I've ever done or in the top couple, you know, and I've done 20 albums or something. So I, I'm, I'm not saying a lot for me, you know, cause there's things I'm really proud of in my career and there's other things I listen to it and I cringe, but uh, I think we're doing pretty good on this one. That rolls. You've kind of covered a lot of uh, a lot of the things that you wanted to um, incorporate as far as a kind of sort of thematically, I guess, and uh, in in a narrative sense within what you do with the band. But I know that there have been very specific narratives on on other stuff that you've done within Angels, and um, you know about uh, like how you view yourself in the world and how you navigate that i guess and and uh, and consciousness so um but i i heard you say that the kind of overarching narrative for this record is wonder yeah i think that was like the best description um it's because you know with with uh everything we're doing at my company and angels and airwaves being kind of a an arm of the company in some ways because you know we score the, the film projects and we also do all of our merchandising and everything with To The Stars. So we're kind of intrinsically aligned and, and cohesive together on kind of mission and, and many other things. But in any case, the whole company to me is about wonder. It's about exotic discovery and, and bringing them, you know, bringing them forward for people to start thinking differently. I think if there's any one particular issue that can solve a lot of the, the problems in the world right now, it would be the discovery of radical and revolutionary technologies and life forms that are not from this planet on, per se. And, and once we discover that, then it forces us to kind of rediscover what we actually believe within, you know, all the different types of religions and, and ancient belief systems that we're still fighting over. It, it'll help us to think differently about what's possible in science and if we need combustion engines going into the future or electromagnetics and gravitics, it's something we can usher in over the next couple decades. Um, that's, you know, I think once we do those things, it'll, it's the only subject that can bring all that out. So I, I, I'm really excited. So that's why I say wonder, because all these things need to be discovered and communicated and so on. Yeah. No, I hear that. I think, um, <sighs> I think that um, I think a lot of the problem with the with the worldview as it stands, if we can start to pick apart everything you just said, is that for a start, science relies on scientism in the sense that it's very easy to to go. Well, this is the status quo within that world. And this is we know everything now at this point here. We know everything. So there's nothing new to discover. We can't start upending everything that we have previously encased as almost holy writ within the world of science but um but that has to happen because if you live within a within a worldview of scientism then then you're you're constantly going to be um wrong-footed yeah Yeah. i think it's a change it's chaining yourself to an ego that you think you know everything you know and how many times have scientists been proven wrong you know i think i wish scientists were more like engineers 
because engineers are like artists, but they use science, but they don't, they just work, they figure out, well, science says they can't do this. So we got to figure out a workaround, you know, they figure yeah. it out somehow. You know, I, I love that kind of thinking. That's an art form to me. Yeah, no, I agree. But I, I feel, um, uh, it's too easy to, I, I get why people do it because, you know, when they get tenure and stuff, they don't, they don't want to upend the apple cart because then all of a sudden they run the risk of, of not only rubbishing everything they've ever worked for, for their, for their entire life, but, um, everything that's gone before them and, and no one wants to be that guy. I don't, I don't think. And, and you have to be of a certain mindset to work within that field. And it, and it, it's so at odds with the, the more, um, as you said, and the kind of engineering or artistic worldview where it's like, huh, we didn't know that was the way it was. So, okay, cool. Now we know that let's go this way. Yeah. It's a, yeah, lot, it's a lot more fluid and, and, um, open-minded. open-minded. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Totally agree. Yeah. That's, that's the exciting thing about some of the areas that we're getting into at the company at two stars and, and what I know, the, the U.S. government is digging into and, and other governments actually because we we've, we've dealt with other governments now, but um, there you know everyone's looking at this stuff. I mean, there's this uh, I always tell people there's this really cool um, document that I have that was a part of the the UFO program um, where they were studying that there's like this kid in China that can move objects with his mind. He's like ten years old, so they wanted to figure out how that's possible and they recreated it uh, in the lab. And I have the whole Department of Defense document and it goes through it and it says they were able to put a piece of paper in a glass jar yeah. and screw the, lid on, screw the lid on it and move the paper through the lid and then six feet across the floor all with their mind. 100% of the people can do this. Only 10% mastered it. And um, it was just wild. It's like, okay, so telekinesis has totally like been proven in the lab, but no one knows about it. And <laughs> you know, I'm like, that's well, a big deal. That's the force. That's like Star Wars shit. You know, that's a big deal. Yeah, because it sounds ludicrous. That's why, and it's, within within I the know. parameters and the, the current paradigm, that that sounds ridiculous. I'm so I, I'm sure or I, you won't remember, but um, we had a conversation at Reading Festival many years ago, where I think I probably came across as a total maniac, even uh, to somebody that's as open minded as yourself, but um where I was talking about, I was reading a bunch of different things, which means nothing, but I was, you know, I was looking at different realms of, I guess you could view it in, in a, in a, um, just consciousness, because that, that's the basis of everything. I believe that, you know, consciousness precedes matter. And I, I think. I agree. I completely agree with you. Great. Right. Because the current paradigm is that consciousness is a, uh, is a, a facet that's created by matter, you know? Oh, it's just this weird thing that's come about because our brains are complicated. And that's, that's nonsense, I, I believe. Yeah, I, 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 believe. I think it's exactly the, uh, yeah, and I think it's exactly the opposite. And, uh, and I think, well, that once we discover that stuff, it, life is going to get very, very interesting. You know, once we discover that mind over matter, not the other way around, and you know, I think you know, the, uh, the ability to heal ourselves, the ability to create new types of sciences and uh, engineering feats, uh, the ability to move into become a civilization where telepathy and all of that uh, is a part of it. I, I believe that's all going to happen. Um, there's one of the somebody that was up for the Nobel last year uh, is uh, one of the top geneticists in the world at one of the Ivy League schools that we are working with that worked on part of the, the UFO program at the Pentagon. Uh, I was talking to him and they found an area in the brain that they believe is where uh, telepathy happens. 
and he believes he can create um, something to enhance it by a thousand times, like some type of drug that targets that area of the brain, you know? And uh, so th- that's the thing. It's like people do think it's ludicrous, but but not <laughs> not the people, the few people that had an open enough mind to research it and jump in. And these guys are like world-leading PhDs, you know? So that's been the kind of the story of my life is everything I've told, even on Rogan, you know, everything that I was talking about is not, I'm not making it up. It's coming from somewhere. And a lot of times I can't say where it's coming from, but in, at the end of the day, it's, it's all real. And I, I think it's going to be a very exciting time once people accept all of the stuff that we've been talking about here on this, on this interview, I think it's going to really change the world. Well, yeah, I, I agree. And I feel that, um, without going, I don't want to disappear down a conspiracy well, but I feel that you would think that people would be way more open to it. Like I think actually at large, the general populace is is open to it and I, I don't know whether that's because of as some people would like to say oh they've been drip feeding these ideas through media for the last 30 40 years or it's just a case of in the case of like somebody like jeff Kripal, you know the, the recent book that he did with with uh willie streber was saying well the reason i take everything that this guy has said as truth is because i've had that experience i've had a similar experience so the things he talks about i can relate to my own life and i think i think most people are so uh self-censoring through the fear of ridicule but if they actually stop and go well no i've i've had some pretty fucking weird experiences in my life and if you actually look at those things a little more and um, and approach them in a more open-minded way and, and don't fear that people are going to go, oh, you're, you're high, you're talking nonsense, then we'd be a lot further down the road is what I'm trying to say, I think. You know, it's so funny. Uh- Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Can I just ask really quickly about, because um, while we're talking about this, because the people that you work with for To The Stars, because obviously I'm reading reading the books and I think that the, the fiction stuff with a, that AJ Hartley's doing is amazing. But weirdly enough, I kind of struggle with fiction. Like I get, you know, as, as that guy that, that as a kid, you know, was, was, has been into this stuff for, you know, forever and would go to conferences and, you know, go and see Stanton Friedman and blah, 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 all of that. I love it. But, um, and I get that, you know, you can talk about Rendlesham Forest, but let's do it in this way to get the idea across. That's cool. But, the thing that um 
that's really resonated with me was that a couple of people that you're working with, I, I'm I'm fascinated by and have been for a long time. And that's how put off because of yep. everything that he was doing at SRI with Russell Targ, you know, which relates to what we were just saying, essentially, about that scientific proof that shatters the whole paradigm of, of what we what we consider to be, you know, consensus reality um, and what they were doing with like Stargate and Grill Flame and blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is this is probably going to have to be another podcast at a later time because I really want to get into that. Um, but uh, also, well, you should uh, you, you could probably do a podcast with Hal. That would be a lot of fun. We well, I would, that, that would be great. But I also want to speak to um, Peter. But I was tr- trying to do that um, when I was in Florida last because when I was in the US last because, uh, as I said, I would always rather do these in person. But sure. I, I've been a huge fan of of his writings for years i think the guy's incredible and i think everything that he did with sinister forces and so yeah i find it fascinating that that these guys are on board because i i feel that this is important talking about the technology that that is clearly defying what we currently say as the laws of physics but i i i I love that these two worlds come together because that's how it always was you know astronomy came out of astrology and and physics and chemistry came out of alchemy. And, and, you know, that these things used to run concurrently with, with science and I guess what you could call mysticism. And then, and then they split apart. And yet a lot of people within the science community, especially in the beginning and, well, and through, have still been working away on, on things that would, I guess, would be considered to be easily labeled as, as mysticism, I suppose. But that, as again, we were saying, you know, people would always keep that back. But I find it fascinating that you've got those people on board because it feels like those two streams are coming back together. You know what? I love that you brought this up because I do believe that mysticism and religion and some of those things were kind of labels on parts of science that we just didn't understand. You know, like yeah. uh, we would call it, we, we would kind of think it's magic uh, until one day we figured out kind of, you know, how, how these things work on an atomic scale or whatever. How food off and some of the people in the company, yeah, they got into this really early on. And I have so many cool stories I've heard uh, from how, um, how he, how, how he got into this stuff. And it's for the people listening, how Pudoff, Dr. Hal Pudoff is a physicist, one of the founding members of my company to the stars Academy of Arts and Science. The three founders are one of the high ranking officials from the CIA. And then Hal Pudoff, who did a program with the CIA created what's called the psychic spy program. And he got into a lot of really, really tricky stuff. And some of the scientists that worked with him were, were the guys doing the exotic work um, and really advanced, you know. And he's just like a massive, massive wealth of knowledge when it comes to the things that a lot of scientists don't want to touch. And he figured out a lot of framework around consciousness and how that works and remote viewing was his project, which, you know, guys meditating and pulling information out of consciousness that would help us solve national security issues. The other thing that he did that was really cool was he was the lead scientist on um, Lou Elizondo, who works at Two the Stars as well for the, the UFO program, the ATIP AWAS program out uh, of the DOD. And it took about a decade, but Hal used people's observations and backed into the arithmetic that makes UFOs anti-gravity kind of work um, in terms of general relativity which yeah. was like, okay, so, so these things do work within the, 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 of what science, what we know science to be. 
And this is how you do it, you know? And once they did that, that was when we decided, I think it's time to move this into a private company that works hand in hand with the government, but let's start bringing this stuff out. Let's, let's really dig into this. And that's, it's exciting to have scientists that are brilliant, open-minded. And, uh, and I mean, you never call how and get a no, like you don't call them up and say, dude, you know, I got this idea and how, what if it worked like this? Or what if this is what's going on? He's never the kind of guy that says, oh, that's impossible. I don't buy it for a minute. Cause yeah. there are guys on my team that are like that. Hal is not. Hal is so open-minded. He's like, you never know. That could be the case. Well, I suppose if this happened and this happened, he'll find dots, you know, <laughs> to connect um, yeah. on some far out ideas, you know? So uh, he's, he's just the guy you want with a beer. Uh, any day of the week over any of your buddies that entertain you, you want Hal. Hal's the one because <laughs> you're going to walk away no, learning something and having the hair stand on the back of your neck. So he's just a wonderful man. Yeah, that's amazing. When you first formed the company, how did you then go around sort of cherry picking all these other people that, that to be involved? Like Peter Lavender, as I said, a truly incredible man. But how, did, how was he brought on board? I saw a lot of work that Peter Lavender was doing, um, getting into the occult, following what the Nazis were doing, uh, their technologies and their occult practices. Okay. Um, he, he, he was, he's a Mensa member, so he's a genius level IQ, hardcore scholar, researcher. Uh, he's very, um, he's super eloquent and he's not conspiratorial per se. He, he doesn't actually, not at all. He's, he's more like, uh, a scholar like he'll dig into it and he'll say things that sound conspiratorial but they're they're not you know yeah. so they're they're back they're back up with real information you know so he seemed like the perfect person because i needed to basically find a way to communicate that a lot of the ancient texts and the ancient religions and the ancient encounters that we see like in the bible and this and that a lot of and what yeah, we and saw the Vedas and the, yeah all, all that kind of stuff mixed in with what the SS was doing in World War II and some of that dark ritualism stuff that they were doing. Uh, it, it, it all kind of tied together that there's like these, there, that, that what we would call the supernatural was something that I think was just a particular form of the sciences that we don't know yet, but I needed somebody to communicate that eloquently. And so he had such a strong foundation already have written so many books about those subjects he seemed like the perfect candidate so i brought him on board but he ended up just making really strong friendships with the guys on my team specifically jim simovan from cia hmm. um and and jim and him have been like they talk like every day and they're very very involved together on these new the new stuff that we're putting out with peter and we're working on even a new one I can't get into, but it's, uh, I think it's going to be even that much more exciting than the secret machine stuff we did with, with Peter specifically, the three nonfiction books are called God's man and war. Um, this new one we're talking about, I think Daniel, you would absolutely love it's right up both of our alleys of what we'd want to (laughs) read about the subject. So, so is that going to be post, uh, the final part of that trilogy that he's been doing? Yeah. So he's already written the three books for secret machines for the nonfiction books. Well, war's Um, not coming for a while though, is it? Right. War's not out yet. So what he's doing now, do you have a finished copy of it? It's not finished. I do have a copy where he laid out the whole book. I'm just fishing. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, but what happens is, is since we're spacing these books out, there's new things he wants to add in there. So he's been editing it uh, with Jim for a while now. And, uh, um, but 
everyone uh, is loving man. Um, so I'm, I, if anyone's interested in this stuff and the way these nonfiction books work is the first one is a lot about ancient religions, ancient texts, um, the occult, what, what we thought we were seeing, what we what we call the cargo cult. You know, we would, yeah. we would see things in the sky and we would worship them over time. The second book, man, you know, is getting into genetics and getting into kind of who we are and the engineerable side of biology and uh, kind of uh, our interaction with whatever these machines are that are coming from wherever they're coming from, what that means. And then war is essentially that, okay, what are we doing about it? And where do we go from here? You know, and because it's not all good news, you know, uh, we won't go down that rabbit hole either, but the, the UFO subject has some very unnerving and frankly scary aspects and it it needs to be handled delicately. And the more that I know now, like I, I, I was wrong to think all of it needs to come out. I was wrong. I, I really admit that. I think that a lot of it needs to come out, but not all of it. Um, I think that the people working on it have a burden that is massive. It is a burden and they do not want to be doing it, you know? And I think that um, they need our support, you know, but I also think that bringing this out will bring more resources, more minds and, and everyone can start working kind of like the pandemic, frankly, I think, yeah. It'll pull people together. So, Well, let's hope so. <laughs> let's hope so. I know, right? I know. But uh, I appreciate your time, man. I got to jump off the phone right yeah. now. I got two minutes to my next call. So, Okay. All right. Thanks so much, Dan. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to episode number 34. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you to Tom, also to Jimmy and to Carrie for helping sort of facilitate all of that. Um, you can find Tom online on socials at Tom DeLong. His company and all that it's doing can be found on the website to the starsacademy.com. Angels and Airwaves new album will be due in the near future. Several songs of that are already available online and they're ace. Um, the first couple of books that we were talk- that Tom and I were talking about from the trilogy Gods, Man and War by Peter Lavender are available now and it's well worth checking them out. I love Peter's writing anyway uh, and own quite a few things that he's done. He's a super diligent researcher and very knowledgeable writer. They're brilliant. I can be found on socials at Daniel P. Carter. The podcast is at Swim Podcast. If you could leave a nice five-star review on iTunes and also subscribe to the pod as well, it makes a huge difference. And I know that these come out really infrequently, so it's not going to be like it's like jamming up your inbox. So, you know, it's not going to be like a huge pain in the ass to just click subscribe and you'll also get to know when, when they come out. The next episode, I think, is going to be either a massive two-hour ramble with William Gould of Creeper about their new album and UFOs, funnily enough, or it's going to be with Gordon White, who is the host of my favourite podcast, Rune Soup. Until then, dear friends, take care of yourselves, take care of each other. All is love. I'm out. Peace. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.